Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome one and all. This is episode 12 of the Mike and Mo Show. It is Cinco de Mayo, a beautiful day to celebrate all that is Mexico, but do you actually know the true meaning of Cinco de Mayo? And I'm asking you, Mo. Mo, do you know? Uh, May 5th. Well, yeah. But many people <laughs> feel that this is actually Mexican Independence Day, which would be incorrect because that is actually on September 16th. Cinco de Mayo, on the other hand, it commemorates the victory of the Mexican battalion against the French military in 1862 near the city of Pueblo in the central state in which it is named. So, booyakasha, dropping a little bit of Mexican knowledge and history for yo. Face. I knew that. No, I, I was going to say that, but you cut me off. Yeah, oh, right. Sorry, I forgot. You know all about everything Mexican Independence Day related and such. Hey, listen, I have a good friend that's half Mexican. Wow, that means I'm a inter- lot. That, that, I'm I- international <laughs> mole, okay? So let me be, all right? All right. Well, I have a, I have a friend that's black, and we do a, a, a show together on the podcast. So does that mean anything to you that I'm... Uh, I'm down with I it. No, I have no idea who that is. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk besides Mexican, beautiful Mexican Cinco de Mayo Day. We are going to, of course, hit on the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk the Frank Vogel split from the Pacers. We're going to talk Luke Walton, all the happenings in the NBA, Magic Johnson losing his mind, a couple new things in baseball, a couple of old things we talked about, and then we'll wrap it up with Mo's favorite lady, of the moment, but I won't tell you who that is till later. So, Mo, let's throw it to you, and let's talk about some of these uh, huge referee mistakes and our current reactions of what's going on in the NBA playoffs. Well, uh, the NBA is doing something right now, and, okay, I kind of understand what they're doing, but they're taking it a little too far. As many of you know, there was a questionable call at the end of the OKC Spurs game where Deion Waiters pushed off on Ginobili trying to inbound a pass. And the NBA admit that they were wrong, that they missed the call there. But they took it a little further, and they actually highlighted five calls they missed in the last 13 seconds. And that included, that included Deion Waiters pushing off on Ginobili. But also, Ginobili should have been called for stepping on the sideline during the final inbounds play. Patty Mills grabbed Stephen Adams during that same inbounds play. Kawhi Leonard grabbed Russell Westbrook. And Serge Ibaka held LaMarcus Aldridge. So... The NBA just went full transparency mode and just divulged everything that went wrong in that final play, which I think is a little too much because referees already get enough criticism from people like Mike, especially in that North Carolina Philadelphia yep. championship game. Mm-hmm. The referees don't have an easy job, and to just divulge all their mistakes just makes it even worse for them because fans, as it is, if their team is losing and the and the calls are questionable, they're calling for the referee's head. So I think the NBA is making a mistake with this. You only announce the big calls that may have a final, you know, effect on the result of the game, but not every call. Yes, they highlighted the inbounds play call, which was the final, call, which was a big play in that game. But they should keep it at that. Just say, okay, we missed the push off. That's it. Let it be. But again, I think they're just throwing their referees under the bus. It's an imperfect job. You can never call a perfect game. You're, you're always going to miss calls. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but Donahue, who was busted for gambling on games, was on Colin Carhart this week, and he said that referees basically give calls to star players because more times than not, 
the star player draws the foul, and they said he, he referenced Michael Jordan, and he said during Michael Jordan's days when he would drive to the hoop, they would just blow the whistle because more times than not he was fouled. Now a lot of fans don't know that, but that's just how it is, and again, that just shows you how imperfect the job is. But again, it was a big mistake. Uh, I mean. Kevin Durant, I believe, was stripped of the ball. Anyway, the Spurs got it. It didn't make a difference. Greg Popovich even said, look, whether they make a mistake and they call it out, you know, in public or not, it doesn't change the result of the game. And I agree with him. You give the explanation, it doesn't change the result. The Spurs still lost that game. Absolutely. And and again, it's it's a it's the human element. These guys are, are just like you and I. They're seeing the game. Obviously, they're a lot closer to it, and we have the, you know, we at home can see instant replay right away but it's just like in baseball you know calling strikes calling balls if you take that out of the game you take away the human element then what should we just have like robots on the on the court that automatically look at it like a computer screen and can pick it up I, I mean it's just it's just it's not perfect it's not a perfect science so it is what it is unfortunately like pop said it doesn't really matter so i don't really know why we have to go back and reanalyze it and they did the same thing uh in the other game with golden state and uh in portland saying how there was actually five illegal screens that were set so all you're doing is you're adding fuel to the fire you're making that you're making the fans mad you're you're prolonging those games but as far as as far as uh, that game san antonio is concerned i mean i watched most of the game i saw the end and it was like an mma fight as the clock went down it there was a scrum people were on the floor i mean it was ugly it was an ugly like scene that was going on but it's just it just it kind of it sucks from a fan's perspective like you know the play shouldn't have happened. Ginobili's foot was was out of bounds technically. Yes, I mean, I'm, and then you see you see the inbounder, you see Dion Waiters, who you know isn't really good for much. He basically shoved his body into Ginobili, and it's just like I don't I don't quite understand how we can't get it right, how they didn't see it because it was so blatant. And then of course people are going to say, well, you know, the Spurs had a three on one, so if if uh, you know, Waiters doesn't push his body. They're not going to get a three-on-one, but it shouldn't have even come down to that. So that's my issue with it is that it just leads to more. It leads to more questions. It leads to a longer game. It leads to just ridiculousness on the court. So somebody's got to get something right. And if you're not going to call it on the court, what's the point of going back and calling it later? My, my thing is at the end of a game, to me, at that point, it's, it's winding down, Last te- potentially the last play of the game. You have instant replay. And... And Ken Mauer, the head referee of that of that crew, said that they didn't see the foul. And it just seemed to happen right, as you said, blatant, like in their face. Like, yeah. okay, how could you miss something like that? Three guys looking at an inbound. When you got three referees, one guy should be looking at the inbounder. Oh yeah. So how could you you know, how could you miss that? But again, like like Pop said, it it doesn't change the result. The Spurs still lost the game, and you know how NBA coaches think. If if we play a great game, it doesn't come down to that one play anyway. Well, I think I think the, the refs took a uh, took a, a page out of Billy Donovan's playbook uh, later at the uh, the press conference <laughs> after the game. And you know, if you saw that, he was funny because he was he was actually you know we can tell that he was kind of being sly about it, but the way it was phrased uh, from the reporter, and he said, "Did you did you see the call?" And there was no call. So I, I I give I give Billy Donovan a lot of credit for you know being pretty smooth with that. But we all know that you know he's he's playing the fool he's 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 not gonna say oh yeah obviously i saw it blah 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 but it's just again it's just like the one thing happens on the court it's gonna it goes to the press conference now it's gonna be a it's gonna be an an epic thing that we're gonna talk about for games three and four and if san antonio should should lose this series all eyes could go back to game two where you know that 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 couple of seconds of, of that things that transpired on the court could change this entire series and you hate for that to happen because 
of, of a missed opportunity that, like you said, a ref should be looking exactly at the inbound, and he didn't. So I just hate for something that shouldn't happen to to possibly influence, you know, what what could turn out to be a, a really big series for both teams. Uh, this this you know the NBA needs to stop this trend of calling out refs and last last yeah. minute last second plays. Uh, you referenced the Curry Harden thing. Mm-hmm. Harden, I believe, pushed off. And and he had a shot or something like that, and they said, "Well, it shouldn't have counted because he pushed off." And now this, it's like, all right, NBA, we understand it's an imperfect job. You know, just say we made a mistake yeah. once in a while, but you don't have to do it all the time. Sure, but, you know, that's that's how it is. I guess they're trying to be transparent, trying to just give the explanation to. So I'm guessing they the refs actually give an explanation to the coaches, or the NBA actually issues an explanation to the coaches. So as long as the coaches understand what happened and that they missed, you don't need to let the fans know because sometimes more information is bad because then people have more questions and there's more scrutiny. I just don't get the point of telling the coaches. So you let the coaches know you screwed up, that you didn't do your job. And like Pop said, what what does it do? It doesn't change anything. So what what is the point? I'm all for transparency, but I'm more for getting the call correct. That should be the biggest statement here. And if you're the NBA or you're any one of these professional sports organizations and a ref screws up, you got to you got to take it on the ref. You got to say you're doc money. You're you're not going to you're no longer going to you're no longer going to ref these super important games. However they set it up and I don't know if this is something they already do or not, but hey, you can't miss these calls, man. This is what you're getting. You didn't you didn't you didn't pay to get in the game to watch it. You're not a fan. You are one of the most important elements in this game. So if you screw up, you're no longer you're no longer going to be able to be a part of it. So and and if you do it so many times, you can't be a ref. I mean, that's your job. It just it you there's got to be a little bit more a little bit more onus put on these guys to say you got to be in every play you cannot take a play off it's just i'm sorry you just cannot that's your that's the only reason you're there is to rep these games the correct way and if you can't do that then go home i mean reggie jackson said this at the end of the game he was saying that you know these refs need to be punished for making poor calls yeah taking off playoff games because as you know these refs get paid extra money to referee playoff games postseason games yeah they're supposed to be the best of the best Right. So, I mean, and again, I understand they make mistakes, but at the same time, like you said, you got there's got to be some type of penalty for it. For it, and you know, fans are going to scream. You know that that conspiracy theorist NBA fans going to say, "Well, it's rigged. The NBA is rigged. This guy had money on the game." And even Tim Donahue on comment on Callan Cowherd's show said that most refs gamble, but not for a specific team. They'll yeah. gamble the over under, meaning. They'll call a couple extra fouls so that the score goes up higher, but they're not banking on a specific team to win. So if people heard that interview, they're like, oh my gosh, the NBA is definitely rigged. But it, I don't even think it's that. I think it's a mixture between it's, it's human error, as you said. And we, you know, as humans, we just miss things. And certain times we say, oh, how, how can he miss that? That's a critical moment. But it happens. And like I said, the NBA just needs, as you said, the NBA just needs to get it right instead of just giving out all this information of why it was wrong. Just just get it right. Sure, you know? absolutely. But uh, on to actual basketball action on the court. Uh, just a quick rehash. We're going to actually go through each series again and just give our predictions. Uh, last In the first round, me, Mike and I were both wrong about the Blazers, largely due to CP3 getting hurt. Only due to that. Griffin. Yeah, only and, due. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We, we both missed on the Raptors, which was actually a good series. I did say it would go seven, but I don't know what Mike said, but I said seven. I said seven. It, I said seven. It, it went seven. It just uh, went the wrong way for us, and the Raptors won by five, I believe, 89-84. So they, they took that. Congrats to the Raptors. Uh, I, 
was wrong on the Celtics, largely due to an injury. Uh, Mike was wrong on the Hornets for no apparent reason. Uh, I was <laughs> so, wrong. I was wrong on the Hornets because I put I put all my faith in Kemba Walker and Jeremy Lin, and they just they were spent. I mean, you know, they were spent. This was their first real big time opportunity in the playoffs, and they they went really far. But like I said, they that team does need more help, and I didn't give the Heat enough credit that you know when they needed to when the chips were down, Dwayne Wade he showed up. So you know, hands down. It was it was it was a fun series, and I would be I would be very sure that not many people predicted the Hornets to take them seven. So congrats to the Hornets as well. Yeah, I gotta give them credit. I said the Hornets were losing five. Uh, they really grew up in that series, I believe. But you know, Wade put on that Bengay, and he and he strapped it up and <laughs> came through. So I believe the Miami Heat's experience played a role in that series. The Hornets sure. earned a game seven with an inexperienced team, and experience just took the way on that one. But uh, on to the second round. I told you last podcast episode that the Atlanta-Cleveland series is not going to be competitive. That series is going to be over in five. I still think Atlanta gets a game because they actually had a chance in game one. They had zero chance last night in game two. But I still think Atlanta gets one at home. It's, like I said, it's falling apart. Teague doesn't look all that great. You got Horford and Millsap there, but it's just not enough to, to compete with Cleveland. I want to know when Dennis Schroeder is going to get the opportunity to lead this offense because that kid can play. And I know, oh, I think he's an unrestricted free agent this offseason. He's going to get paid from someone. And obviously, Atlanta's put a lot of stock into Jeff Teague. So, you know, I'd be surprised if they let him go. But this Schroeder kid can play. And right now, like you said, Teague is really struggling. They're not moving the ball. I, I don't see Atlanta winning a game. And I was all over Atlanta last round. I mean, the way that Cleveland came out, if this is the year that they do not win it with LeBron just incensed and, and Curry hurt and, you know, the Spurs are the Spurs. But I if they do, if the Cavs do not win it this year, they're never going to win it. So, you know, Atlanta... They're going to have to retool, figure out what's going to go on next season. Do they get a guy like Dwight Howard? You know, does does Horford leave? A lot of question marks. A lot of question marks on that team. Um, so I see a sweep personally, but uh, I just I, I can't see Cleveland blowing this right now the way they're playing. Mike, what happened? Atlanta, what happened to that? Atlanta. I'm losing my voice. Atlanta, what, what, what happened? Uh, game, game two. Game two happened. It was, uh, it was ridiculous. I really... I, well, I mean, you heard LeBron. They, they, the man is already looking ahead to playing the Heat. I mean, it's this, this, this Cavs team is just they're focused. You know, I give Tyron Lue a lot of credit. I think, I think he's got them on the right track. Uh, obviously, we did see, you know, Kevin Love is banged up, which you know is isn't new news. But the other day when he went up to, for that three and he tried to, you know, he drew the foul against Kenny Basmore, and he 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 banged that bad shoulder right into Basmore, who's not a small dude. Uh, you know that that's something that is you know can eventually come back to to maybe haunt them later in the playoffs but again Cleveland's shown that they don't necessarily need Kevin Love to uh to win I think as long as Kyrie continues to play the way he is and LeBron is just focused uh, and you can get anything out of Tristan Thompson I don't I don't see Atlanta sticking around like hey maybe they could win one game I just as of right now at, at with game two being over and game three tonight I do not see it happening but hey that's why they play the games baby well, uh, folks in Atlanta, look forward to the Atlanta Falcons because the Hawks are about to get swept, according to Mike, and yeah. the Braves are pretty bad. And, yeah, uh, very bad. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we mentioned Wade briefly. Miami Heat taking on Toronto. Quick note, Chris Bosh has been ruled out for the remainder of the playoffs with those blood clots. He was pushing to get back on the court, and the team was kind of like, no, we don't want you to, you know, re-aggravate an injury or, you know, something bad happened to you in the court. So kudos to the organization for keeping him on the shelf, even though he wanted to play. 
he won't play again in the postseason, which is I believe is a big blow because I think if he does play, I mean, I think Miami wins this series regardless in six against the Raptors. But I think if he does play, the Miami Heat will be a tougher challenge for the Cleveland Cavaliers in the second round. Well, can I, I want to throw something in there for you. It's a conspiracy theory, but there's a, I think there's a lot of weight to it. And I was talking to a guy who was a huge Heat fan the other day. And, you know, I, I said the same thing. I said losing Bosch is, is going to hurt. I think he's, you know, your second best player. Uh, you know, next to Wade, I, he's he's a lot for this team. He stretches his team out, and he and the guy says, "Oh, well, we don't need him." You know, we we proved that we can play without him as long as Hassan Whiteside steps up. And I said, "Sure," but I said, "You know, going forward, Chris Bosh is a, is an integral part of this of this team." I mean, you know, LeBron said it himself. All those titles they won, they wouldn't have done it without Chris Bosh. And he says, "Yeah, but I'm hoping," and and he tells me he hopes and he thinks that the Miami's not trying to play him so that he will potentially retire next year so that they can free up the money, the insurance money and the cap money for to re-sign Hassan Whiteside. Now, again, this is going on on a limb, but I do think that there's a lot of possibility to this because they they don't have that money for Whiteside as of right now. And if they do really think that he's going to be that defensive presence and maybe his offensive game will come around eventually, they're going to want to re-sign him and they can't do that at their current cap space. So I hope that's not the truth, that Miami is just kind of finagling this guy around and, you know, not and pushing him off, but I also do understand the fact that hey, this is a blood clot situation. These things do come back. And Brian Winhurst from ESPN, who reported on this, uh, he's had these these problems in his in his life as well. So uh, these are things that shouldn't be taken too lightly. I understand Chris as a professional wants to get back on the court, but come on, man, Hank Gathers passed away from the exact same issue many years ago. The Loyola Marymount star. So this is something that God forbid you come back and you lose your life. Is it? It's not worth it. Not even a little. I, I, but I get it. I get it. You want to prove to yourself and the team that you're still, you know, a competitor. But I, I, I will, I will go with the Heat. Uh, you know, as far as under, that they're doing the right thing. I just hope it's because it's for the right reasons and not for the financial aspect come next year. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge conspiracy theory to draw out there. To think, I mean, I mean, does Bosch just really just say take his ball and walk away from the game? I think that will come with a family decision. His wife, and, yeah, you know, has family there, but interesting situation. I just. You know, you want to see him play, but you want to see a guy like that healthy for himself and his family. But as far as the series is concerned, Miami should move on. LeBron will get his dream series against his buddy. And we'll see what happens there. Again, Miami would have been a tougher challenge with Bosh. I still think they give Cleveland a little bit of a run for their money. But it's just not going to be enough. But uh, going on to the Western Conference, I'm going to have to walk my comments back from my last episode. I said the Portland Trailblazers will win two games and go to six. Uh, maybe five. Uh, <laughs> after watching the, the Golden State Warriors dismantle the Portland Trailblazers in the first game without Steph Curry, and then Portland kind of just vomiting on themselves in game two, losing an 11-point lead, uh, Golden State's probably going to walk through the park on this one and win in five games. I'll give Portland one, only because Stephen Curry's trying to get back from May before May his May 9th uh, deadline, but he he may not even have to play. And I, and I feel like Golden State doesn't have to put him back on the court because they're doing fine without him. And I believe Portland gets one in Rip City, and maybe that'll entice Curry to come back. But again, they won't really need him. And they'll finish off Portland probably with one game with Stephen Curry on the court in five. I mean, I think Steph Curry's injury is a lot worse than people are leading on. I mean, it reported that he's got plasma treat- treatment shot directly into his knees. I mean, and this is this is a serious thing where, you know, people get plasma put in their body to, to I guess, get the recovery factor uh, much more sped up than it, than it traditionally would be. I mean, this guy's got knee, 
ankle, which again, if you come on the court and you and you favor one body body part over the other, now you've got back problems. Now you've got it's just it's just not you don't need them right now. Look, you're up 2-0. If you go up 3-0, there's no point in playing them until this is a 3-3 series. So I do not risk it whatsoever. Uh, Clay Thompson looks amazing. This guy is showing that he's the real deal. I mean, on any other team, he's a number one option. Scored a game high 27 against you know CJ McCollum, who's a really good defender. Now CJ was complaining as we spoke about about these illegal screens. Uh, he says you know, and the NBA said that there were about five missed screens, so maybe that has something to do with it. But what the first game he scored what 37? So you know, uh, I mean you know it's hard to say you know okay well a couple of illegal screens. He's still scoring points. I mean you know Harrison Barnes is playing extremely well. He's playing three different positions. This team is just super athletic. They're they're going to be hard to beat. I mean, really, I can only see them beating themselves. Like when they were down by eleven, they kind of just they kind of just stopped playing to a certain extent, and then all of a sudden something clicked. I don't know if it's something Kerr said, but they finally kicked it into overdrive, and and wow, just you know, watch out. But hey, the Blazers look really good. They just another team that needs a couple more pieces. That's really all it is. I think they've I think they've gone a lot further than anybody would have predicted. You know, this time last year. Thing is, uh, you gotta look at it this way. Curry went down, and Clay Thompson has stepped up. Oh, I know yeah. I give Clay Thompson a lot of guff for stepping back in the postseason last year, saying he was kind of a minimal factor. But this year, he he is stepping into his role, and like you said, he'd probably be a number one option on any other team without Curry on it mm-hmm. or without Harden, because you know how Harden is with the ball. But uh, <laughs> Clay Thompson has really stepped up, and you gotta give him kudos for that. One note about uh, Stephen Curry's plasma treatment. Mike, you got to understand when you're making that type of money, you get plasma treatment. When you make money like we do, you go to the doctor and he gives you Robitussin. So <laughs> that, that, that's just money. That's just sure. the money disparity. The sure. guy can afford to for this plasma treatment. I'm sure a lot of players get plasma treatment through the season and the offseason to kind of, as you said, expedite the recovery process. But they're hoping to get him back. And I believe the injury is, I would, I would call it mild. I wouldn't say it's it's, you know, Grade three red alert, but I believe that they really needed him. He would try to get back out there and play. And at this point, a decoy, a decoy Steph Curry is better than no Steph Curry because then you never know. A guy like that, he may not be able to move as well, may not be able to do the fancy dribbles and drive to the lane, but you still have to guard him because he can still shoot. So if he's a stationary shooter, you still have to defend him. And I believe they really, really needed him. Let's say if the, if the Clippers, if it was the Clippers and the Clippers had CP3 and Blake Griffin healthy, He'd be on the court probably by game three. But it's the Portland Trailblazers. They don't have, as you said, they don't have a 5-4-3 spot. They just have a good backcourt, and it's just not enough to overcome the Warriors. But on to the series that's the most competitive, San Antonio and OKC. We spoke briefly about it with the questionable call. I think this series goes seven, but I think the Spurs win it in seven. Again, OKC has enough athleticism to take it to seven games. And, I, and I, again, the Spurs are an older team. Someone said, and I laughed at this, Tim Duncan looks like a fossil out there, and he does, and apparently he wants to play another year. So uh, maybe he's playing possum until the finals, I don't know. But I think uh, the Spurs get it out. You know, Popovic is a great coach. He knows how to get the most out of his players, and they'll win fundamentally over the, over OKC. But it's going to be a close series. I wouldn't be surprised if that game seven into overtime we had a like a thriller finisher, but... Again, uh, Spurs winning in seven. Probably fix the better coach. Billy Donovan in his first year in the NBA, he's going to get out coached throughout the whole throughout this series. He's basically coaching is going to push the Spurs over the Thunder. Yeah. After game one, I honestly thought this was going to be a sweep. I mean, just the way the Spurs came out, and and that game two, I really feel has just changed 
everything. You know, everyone's perception now of 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 Kevin Durant company. And look, it, it wasn't a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but they did enough. Uh, Oklahoma City did enough to stick around and then, you know, play it like that at the end of the game changes fortunes. So I, I can't really, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'm going to go on whatever happens in game three, I think is going to, is going to tell the tale. I think if for some reason, somehow Oklahoma City can stay around and Russell Westbrook can, can be as dominant as he was in the first round, they've got a real opportunity to upset San Antonio. I really do. And I know I've, I've flipped back and forth with saying, uh, you know, the Kevin Durant, Westbrook thing, it, it works, it doesn't work. Oh, look, I don't think I don't think it's going to work for the long haul, but for this year that you've got both of these guys signed, you've got you've to make it work. You've got to make it happen. Unfortunately, I also see that if San Antonio can kind of right the ship, everybody can get on the same page, and you can realize that missing a three-on-one should never happen if they come out and they put it to Oklahoma, this series could be over in five. So it's really this this game three is gonna for me is gonna be all telling. Uh, it's it's it should be a great game. And unfortunately, if somebody comes out flat, that that should be that should be the per, the people the other team that you put your money on because this is just this is not the time to like like Oklahoma did in game one come up and and put a duck up much like Atlanta did last night. I mean you cannot you cannot give away any games, especially now that you're back in Oklahoma City. You've got You've got all all the pressure is back on San Antonio. You've got home court advantage now. You need to win. You need to win Game Three. You need to put everything on on this team that everybody was all about. Because if you can if you can take Game Three away and go up two to one, I mean, yeah, then we're talking Game Seven at the very at the very most. So I, I look forward to a good game. That's all I can say. I just I really I, it'll I think for me it'll be more clear after this Game Three happens. I actually think OKC wins game three and people start to say, oh, maybe the Spurs are too old to hang with OKC. <laughs> and then the Spurs come back and win the next two. Possible, one on yeah. OKC's floor and then one on their floor. Game six, OKC wins. And then you go to game seven with the Spurs winning. So that's how I see, see it playing out. But think about this. OKC cannot go out there and embarrass themselves because, remember, Kevin Durant has a decision to make coming up. Yeah. And if, if OKC looks horrible... He's definitely not coming back. I mean, I already think he's not. I already think his mind is, okay, I'm going to focus on this series, and if we lose, I'm moving on. That's that's how I feel he's thinking. Yeah. But if OKC embarrasses themselves, he's definitely out of there without question. It's just a matter of where he lands. Sure. Now, we always talk about his chemistry with Russell Westbrook and how that's going to work, and, I, and people keep saying this. People say that he likes Westbrook the person, but he doesn't really enjoy Westbrook the player on the court playing with him. And I think he wants more of a pass-first point guard on the court, whereas you got Westbrook, who's kind of a tweener. I mean, he plays the point guard position, per se, but the guy's a score. He's a triple-double machine. He needs to be the the, the number one guy on the court. Sure. And him sharing that spotlight with Durant just makes it kind of clunky at times, and that's what happens. That's when you see they, they lose games. You don't know whether to defer or take the shot, Westbrook in this case, but... I think he moves on regardless, and again, OKC loses a hard for a series in seven, and Durant probably goes. I mean, people are pulling for him to go to L.A. I don't think he goes there. We'll see where he ends up. I know there was old rumors about he can go to Golden State because they'll have the space for it. We'll, we'll see, though. 
Either way, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of a lot of possibilities, and that's what we love about this time of year in the NBA. Because not only do we, you know, do we have some pretty fantastic games going on and some really fun series to watch. There's, you know, the rumor mill is starting it up, and it's only going to get, you know, more abundant as we get closer, you know, to the NBA draft. So before we talk about some uh, some not so great teams that are doing some things the right way, we're going to wrap up this uh, this main topic section, and we're going to give you all that great information with open mic. We'll be right back. Okay, and let's talk about Mo and I's favorite NBA basketball club, the New York Knickerbockers. And unfortunately, we're not talking about many good things these days because Luke Walton broke our hearts and stayed in the West Coast. But what we are going to talk about is a possibility. And from what I hear today, the Knicks aren't going to be making any moves, uh, at least head coaching-wise, until Mr. Phil Jackson gets off of his vacation. Um, I don't know why he needed a vacation, because he took 82 games off this year. But that's Shots it. fired. Shots fired. Hear, hear it loud. But regardless, there is some news in the NBA. There is a possible candidate. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, Mo. Who was just fired, and is there really a chance he comes to New York? Well, Frank Vogel and the Pacers had a split, and apparently Larry Bird didn't take too kindly to the team losing to the Toronto Raptors, who we thought should have lost to the Pacers. But could could Frank Vogel end up with the Knicks? I know you have some notes about him being a scout at one time and having ties with Phil Jackson. But personally, I think he ends up with the Sacramento Kings. I mean, think about it. He coached Lance Stevenson, who was a head case, a talented head case, he can go. He can go to Sacramento and coach another talented head case in Demarcus Cousins and probably get the most out of him. So, I think that's a great fit for him. Unfortunately, uh, the Pacers are making a mistake. I'm just gonna go on a quick tangent here. The Pacers, what are they doing? This is a guy that was over 500 in the playoffs every season except one when when their best player Paul George was out out with an injury he suffered in the Olympic Games, a gruesome injury we all saw where he landed wrong. But other than that, this is a coach that had his team in the playoffs. I mean, he has the, t- the Tom Thibodeau syndrome, but he just couldn't beat the Miami Heat. They pushed the Miami Heat to the brink at a six-game series in Eastern Conference Finals. They had a seven-game series in Eastern Conference Finals. And it just didn't happen. And they played, they ran to a buzzsaw in the big three in Miami. So that's not on Frank Vogel. So I don't see why the places would split with this guy. I don't see how teams aren't lining up to, to get this guy on their bench to coach, coach their players i.e. the Rockets, the Knicks and the Kings but this is this is a guy who's without a job and he he's he's a pretty solid he's a solid coach so I don't think he ends up with the Knicks because again Phil Jackson wants the triangle crap running and I don't think Frank Vogel is with that he's more of a methodical slow-paced coach he's not going to push the ball and I think that's Part of the reason why the Pacers split with him, apparently Larry Bird wants a faster-paced game, and he decided to go in another direction. But again, uh, I think Frank Vogel goes to the Sacramento Kings, not the Knicks. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, but I'll tell you that I I like Vogel. Uh, there I, there are a couple connections there. He you know he he grew up idolizing Phil Jackson. Him and Brian Shaw were assistants way back when with the Lakers. Uh, he's from the New Jersey area. 
and and actually Carmelo, and I know maybe we're reading into this too much, but Carmelo even went as far as two years ago to uh, to praise him when uh, you know when Mike Woodson couldn't seem to handle the adjustments that were made at the halftime uh, back in that playoff series against Indiana. So it seems like all the cards are kind of being laid out where this would would be a good fit for the Knicks, especially if it's going to make Carmelo somewhat happy because let's face it, he's got four years left, and unless we can trade him, we got to make gotta appease him to a certain extent uh james dolan also sees in the press too so again it seems like it seems like this this could work uh i just i feel like for indiana's sake this is a this is a change just for the sake of of a change being happened i think like you said it's not necessarily his fault they lost i put it more on larry bird and i know that's probably sacrilege to say because he's larry bird but you didn't really give this guy anything new in the past three seasons i mean you brought monte ellis who you know monte ellis is fine he's like a third or fourth option but Paul George came back, showed that he is a superstar. But who who's your really number two? It's, it shouldn't be Montellus. It's not it's not George Hill. I mean, there's just there's not enough there for for that team to ascend to the next level. So I put that on upper management, not so much Vogel, who still won you know uh, 46 games or so this year. So I think he did a great job with that team. And like you said, people should be lining up there around the block to sign him. But as far as Sacramento's concerned. I wouldn't take that job if I were Vogel for all the team in China. What I would do if I'm if I'm Sacramento, I'm going to get Mark Jackson. Not the same could probably be said about the New York Knicks, but I love the job that Mark Jackson did with Golden State. He's the one that nest, that basically set up that team for the success it's had under uh, Steve Kerr and and. Uh, the new coach of the L.A. Lakers, Mr. Walton, said the same exact thing in his press conference that he gives a lot of that credit to Mark Jackson. So that should be somebody that I think could get through to those knuckleheads in Sacramento and would listen to him because not only was he a player, but I think he'd be able to relate more to, you know, the struggles of a young uh, athletic guy with a lot of money and, you know, a lot of power and maybe put it all into perspective for a guy like Boogie Cousins and company. The thing is with Mark Jackson, I do like Mark Jackson with the Kings, but there there are whispers out that he didn't get along with the front office in Golden State, which is why he was ousted. So how do you think he's going to get along with a with a tumultuous front office in Sacramento? So think about that. It's just it's just a tough fit. He has to have a front office that's together and cohesive for him to to flourish because otherwise they're just going to fire him like they did the last 50 coaches they fired. But so. maybe maybe it's not the coaches. I mean, it, maybe it's the, the Vladi Divox of the world and everybody else because there was talk even this season that it was, you know, that it was Vladi Divox and company or George Carl and obviously eventually they decided to let go of George Carl who, you know, is a, is a Hall of Fame coach, which, you know, again, he didn't mesh well at all with anybody on that team from day one, but they still decided to sign him. So, again, you got to put a lot of emphasis on, on management and say, look at the guys you're bringing in, look at the chemistry that you're not building, and, and look at these coaches that you continue to interview. There's, there's a disconnect there. It's, just, it's, not a, it's not a cohesive unit. And for whatever the reason, I, if this continues for, for the team of Sacramento, they're not going to be any better than they were this year, last year, it's just going to be the same monotonous play that we continue to get from them. And eventually, Boogie Cousins will up and leave, and then you're starting over from scratch. Yeah, basically. And yeah. I really I really want Sacramento to do well, and I really cheer for Boogie Cousins because he's one of the most talented players in the NBA. It's just that he's in a rough situation. He's been through so many coaches, so much turnover. And I, and I feel like until that, until that franchise gets their front office straight and they get their act together... They're just going to be a disaster on the court from the head coaches down to the players. But you mentioned the Knicks, and you said it it just makes a lot of sense for Frank Vogel to come to New York. When is the last time things have gone completely right for New York (laughs) and and the Knicks? So it's just like I I like Vogel for the Knicks, but I just feel like 
things haven't gone right for this franchise over the past decade or so. When I mean, why is it going to go right now? Because it has to eventually. It ha- like I mean, this is supposed to be the mecca of basketball. It's the it's the garden. It's the greatest city in the world. You got Kristaps Porzingis. You still got Phil Jackson. You know the smartest coach there ever was. But what it can't. It just cannot continue on this downward spiral of, of of mediocre play, less than stellar coaching, and and you know no draft picks. It has to turn around. Otherwise, what's the point? Why would anybody spend their hard earned earn money to go to the garden it just i mean if you want to put a winner out there james dolan was obviously he's a smart businessman he has to turn this around because he's still the owner and that's the thing it's ownership here it's ownership in sacramento it's ownership at the lakers if you don't have the right structure in how could you eventually get the right front office general manager president of operations expect to get the right coach and the right players it's a tier system if you're weak up top you're going to be weak throughout and we've seen that with the with the 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 bus family in la who fight constantly and and nothing gets Basically, from there on down to Mitch Kupchak to whoever's going to be the coach, it's just one spiral of of nonsense and miscommunication. And it kind of seems the same way in New York. James Dolan gave Phil Jackson total totalitarian part, uh, you know, uh, concern and and power over this organ over the front office and the organization, and it's not going correctly. So we got it's got to be cleaned up. And if they're the people with the money, then they're calling the shots. I mean. If you think about it, we're going to talk about the Lakers a little bit more in about five, six minutes. But uh, with Vogel, the way I look at Vogel is I, I put him up there with Tom Thibodeau as a, as a head coaching candidate. The guy took one star, and he went to battle with the Miami Heat's big three. The guy, he, I mean, he had Paul George. Who was his second best player? Was it Lance Stevenson? Was it Roy Hibbert? I mean, come on. Yeah. George Hill? Think about that. He had David West at the tail end of his career. We all know what David West is now. So, I mean, uh, you got to look at Vogel as a, as a top candidate. Phil, if, you, if you're going to lift the triangle, if, if Vogel comes in and says, I'll coach the Knicks, but you got to lift, you know, the restrictions on the triangle and the coaching, I say you got to do it. And if Phil has a problem with it, he can go to L.A. As I said two episodes ago, <laughs> Phil, you can go to L.A. if you don't want to improve this this team because we need a coach like Vogel in New York to, to revitalize what we have in Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And then, if, if you're looking at other coaching possibilities, we move over, move over to the black hole that is the Houston Rockets, the 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 worst team in all of Texas. Uh, I just cannot believe that they are going to quite possibly interview TNT's Kenny Smith and. Hmm? Yeah, Kenny, that Kenny Smith, you know, the one that... I like Kenny Smith. Okay, well, you know Kenny Smith. Because he's never coached a day in his life. Not high school, college, AAU ball, nowhere. <sighs> and I understand that sometimes you don't need it. Jason Kidd did a good job with the Nets and, you know, whatever, he's in Milwaukee. But then there's Derek Fisher, and Derek Fisher was a train wreck. And where is he? Chilling on the island with Matt Barnes's girl right now. So, good for him, <laughs> but you know what? You set up the Knicks for failure, my man. I don't care you won more games than the year before. Mo would have won more games than the year before. So that that doesn't give you any any credit whatsoever. But Kenny Smith, who was great at North Carolina and won a title with Houston, or might have been two titles. So I give great. You're you're a great player. You're a fantastic analyst. But what gives him any kind of credibility when it comes to taking a team who made the playoffs the past four seasons or so over? Another rocket, Sam Cassell, who looks like an alien and is still on Earth. I don't, I don't quite understand. Yeah, Mike, Mike, you just, you just 
advocated for Mark Jackson. Where did Mark Jackson come from before he got his job? With well, Ohio yes, State yes, Warriors? he was he was in the, the press box with with oh. Jeff Van Gundy. But but I'm just saying this because he actually proved himself. He did a great job with Golden State, and yes, he but, might have had his problems with the front office, but he proved it on the court. I'm not look. I'm not saying Kenny shouldn't get the opportunity. I'm just saying that there seems like there's better options, more qualified guys. It goes back to my Tom Thibodeau thing. Why would you give somebody the opportunity to be a, a, a president of basketball operations when he's never done it before? You're taking a huge risk. Huge. Hey, Mike, life's all about risk. You got you to gotta go for the jugular sometimes. I mean, I watch TNT a lot, and I think Kenny Smith is the most insightful of all the guys on the set. I mean, Shaq and Barkley. I mean, Barkley's there for entertainment purposes, and Shaq is just there to co-sign. But Kenny Smith is pretty analytical with his breakdown. You see, he goes to the screen, he breaks down plays. I really like Kenny Smith, Kenny Smith as a as a candidate. But Mike, just to admit, you're a little salty because Kenny Smith was on that team that crushed the Orlando Magic in the mid '90s. So yeah, is, yeah. It, is that why you're you're hating on Kenny? That's part of the reason. Part of the reason. But Kenny's also a North Carolina alum, so I got I got love for him there. It has nothing. Yeah, that's what I say. Yeah, that's the deal. He he's a he's a Tar Heel, but. You know, he crushed the magic. So where's your allegiance lie there? Pro- probably, sure. probably because I, I don't even know if I was alive when he was a Tar Heel, but so it probably lies more with the magic when it comes to that and you know that that fantastic thirty for thirty. But I, look, I'm all for giving Kenny an opportunity, but I would love for him to. Hey, why can't he be the assistant to Sam Cassell or somebody else that's that's been doing it a couple years? I I think for me it just goes back to the whole Derek Fisher thing and how poorly that went. And not that everybody's gonna be Derek Fisher, and but Derek Fisher was a really good player, a smart player. He was a point guard. The man ran the triangle. He should not have failed as miserably as he did. So. Was it on Fisher? Was it on the front office? There again, disconnect. So I, I just when that when a guy puts such a bad taste in your mouth as he did for for the Knicks fan base and the Knicks everything, uh-huh. I, I I wouldn't risk it. But hey, you're Houston. You gave James Harden eighty shots a game. You do your thing. That's the thing. This is how the world is. They always say it's not what you know; it's who you know. And apparently, you know, obviously, Kay Smith was with the Rockets organization in their golden times. So he's going to get the nod. It's going to be. It's going to probably be him or Sam Cassell. I would lean towards Sam Cassell. Cassell is an assistant coach for the Clippers right now. So I would lean toward him because he actually has experience with the X's and O's and dealing with players on the court. So I agree with you there. Mm-hmm. But that's just the way the world is now. If, if, you, if you know someone, if you're close to an organization, you're going to get the nod. And right now, Sam Cassell is with the Clippers. He is part of that Houston umbrella. Yeah. But Kenny Smith just seems like an intriguing pickup again because I referenced Mark Jackson. He did a good job from going from you know commentary to head coach. So the Rockets may you know they may take a chance, and I think he's a strong enough person. Kenny Smith is to deal with James Harden's knuckleheadedness and probably get him to play a little better defense than a fold-up chair. But we'll see about that. Yeah, or but, any, uh, any defense for that matter. On to a, a franchise who has their lead man, and Mike alluded to this before, Luke Walton was hired by the Los Angeles Lakers to coach that group of youngins. Um, one quick note, I'm kind of off the Luke Walton is the greatest, you know, uh, coaching candidate bandwagon. He, I mean, he did coach the best regular season team in history, the Golden State Warriors. I mean, Mike, you and I could have been head coach and assistant head coach and got the Warriors to a good record this year. That was, but that was that. better than good. It was 39-4, and four, I think. The guy was – it was amazing. And that's the only thing is – 
I don't think you, my man Mo, give are giving him enough credit. He could have easily screwed up the rotation. He could have screwed up the minutes. There could have been a lot that he could have done wrong. Yes, he has the same players that won a title, but very simply, this it could have been a train wreck, and they could have started, you know, ten and thirty. So I just think. To, to slight him is not necessarily fair because he did he did such a great job with with great players like it's like saying like you could have coached the the Michael Jordan Bulls like you could have still screwed that up yeah you could have played Jordan forty two minutes a game but something could have gone terribly wrong and I think I don't think Luke got enough credit but hey he was top five in the NBA in uh, coach of the year uh, you know stats this year so you know I think he notice him for that. You don't think you don't think he was in contact with Kerr and Kerr, Kerr kept him in line about what to do. I'm not saying no, he sure he did. Walton no credit. Yeah. I give Luke Walton credit for what he did. He still has to steer the ship. Absolutely. But if you don't think Kerr had, you know, was behind the scenes, he's texting Kerr, talking to Kerr, like, okay, what should I do? How should no, I? No, I, I do. I think he did that a lot, especially during practice. But come on, man, during the game, the flow, the game, the the flow. I mean, you, he can't I mean, be texting them. Once the plan's in place, you just let the oil oil machine run. Oh. I mean, okay. Let me ask you a question then. What do you feel about uh, David Blatt? How good of a coach do you think David Blatt is? I think David Blatt is just an X and O's guy. I don't think David Blatt. I don't even did he ever play the game? Did he win any titles? I don't know much about. He was he was great overseas. Yeah, overseas. Like, but that's not the NBA, and he proved that he couldn't coexist with with star players or make them any better. But he went to the NBA Finals, Mike. On the back on the back of LeBron James. Okay, so just like I'm saying, Luke Walton had Stephen Curry in the best regular season team ever. Yes. So if you, if you could slight David Blatt, but give an enormous amount of credit to Luke Walton, I don't see, I don't see how no, they no, I don't give, the same bubble. I don't give him enormous amount of credit. I think he deserved the opportunity that he received with the Lakers, just as I really think that David Blatt does, didn't deserve to get fired, one, and does deserve to get another opportunity. I don't, I don't think it's with the Knicks, because I think this guy needs a good roster. Maybe him... Well, he he could coach a team like the Rockets. Let me say this, but unfortunately, with with James Harden there, it would never work. It has to be the right organization. I think David Blatt would have been good with Minnesota, and you wouldn't have had to give him all of you know all of that power that Thibodeau got. So I, I understand your point. I know where you're coming from, but I don't think it's right that we that we you know even even as much of a Walton fan as I am, we build him up and we knock down Blatt. So again, it's kind of they're in the same boat. Blatt's a lot mm-hmm. older. Blatt's got more experience overseas, but he never played the game. Luke Walton played the game. He studied. He knows Phil Jackson. He even though he's not going to run the triangle with the Lakers, he still has it, all of that experience. So again, teams and players are going to relate better to a Luke Walton than they would a David Blatt because let's mm-hmm. face it, this is the NBA. These guys got a lot of money and too much power, and at least they say, well, Luke Walton. He, he, he was around greats. He played with Kobe. He knows the game of basketball. His father is Bill Walton. Well, what has David Blatt ever done? And, and maybe that's not the right way to think, but I'm sure that goes through the minds of these athletes. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the Luke Walton fit for the Lakers for that young team, a young coach with a young team. But I'm just not on the bandwagon of, Dave, of Luke Walton being a top, top candidate because he took the Warriors to a, a great record. No. I'm just not, I'm just not going to subscribe. That's that. fine. I do, that, I do like his fit with the league. Oh, I think it's, I think it's an amazing fit. I think it's, I think it's a perfect fit for this team. I mean, the guy's 38 years old. I mean, Kobe was 38 years old. So, I mean, it, just think about, you know, how that could have happened if Kobe was still playing. But that's what I keep going back to is the right structure, the right fit. Like, obviously, the Lakers got a lot of issues in that front office. But at least this is, like, the first smart thing they've done in about four years. So, they're, at least they're on the right track where we as Knicks fans say, when are we going to get on the right track? We got Porzingis, but it seems like 
now we're we've made a stop at the depot and we don't know how to turn the train back on. The the, the only thing that I was questionable about was Jeannie Bus said that she didn't know that Byron Scott was going to be let go, and Byron Scott said he was clueless on this, that he was blindsided basically by being fired. I don't know how that is. Yeah, and I'm thinking, dude, where have you been? Yeah. Do you know how stinky the Lakers were? I think I said this a few episodes ago. Worst record in franchise history throughout the season. Yeah, twenty one so, and six. Twenty one and sixty one. So, so how are you surprised, Byron Scott? How are you, where were you during these eighty two games? Like, if you were watching the same game we were watching, you deserve to be fired. Basically, I told you this, and I said this. Uh, I believe it was three episodes ago. He was just there for the Kobe Bryant farewell tour. He was just there to supervise it. He was basically a chaperone on a school trip. He was there to make sure everything went well. Now the school trip is over. You're back in school. Now it's, it's time to get back to business. So bye-bye, yeah. Byron Scott. I don't know why you're surprised about that. But uh, again, I like the Luke Walton fit there. And the thing is, the word is that the Lakers are looking to trade their, their lottery pick, no matter if it's the one pick or whatever it is. They're looking to trade it because they don't want a lengthy rebuild period. Basically, they want to land a star. I think it's to entice Kevin Durant to come there. I don't think he will unless maybe Paul George goes there because there's rumors that, you know, the Lakers should go after Paul George. I don't think Paul George goes there. I don't think Bird allows that to happen. That's his star player. But basically, they're just fishing out for names so that they can lure people into coming to L.A., expediting the, the recovery process and getting back to the playoffs. Don't expect Luke Walton to take the Lakers to the to the postseason in his first year unless they get a flashy player like a Durant or, I don't know, maybe a PG-3 if, if Larry Bird loses his mind. But your boy uh, Magic Johnson has gone on full-blown fantasy dynasty mode on ATK, <laughs> and he's just throwing names out there like the Lakers should go after Kevin Durant. They should call LeBron's agent. They should go after DeMar DeRozan, who I don't really like all that much. No. But I, I know you you brought the tampering violations on this because he he's, he has part ownership with the Lakers and yeah. that can be a sticky situation. But basically, why not why not bring Shaq back? Paul Westbrook, <laughs> Westbrook. How about CP three? Does he want to play over here? How about Wade and his Bengay and his old knees? Yeah. Why don't we just throw all the names out there while you're at it, Magic Johnson? Joe I'm Johnson. Bring in Joe. Things. Bring in Joe Johnson, your boy, Mo Money Mo Buckets. <laughs> I think he's a little over the hill. Oh, wanna... <laughs> okay, but Shaq's not. I mean, hey, Shaq hey. Is, is 300 pounds. Who's going to guard him? Yeah. He can still dunk. As long as he can get a little bit lift, you know, a little two-foot lift, maybe he can he can camp out in the paint and dunk some basketballs. But Magic Johnson's just throwing out all these names, and I'm like, well, who are you going to actually land? Who actually wants to play for the Lakers? I know they're a much more enticing team without Kobe Bryant there, but you got D'Angelo Russell, you got Clarkson, and you got Randall, which they're good young pieces, but if a, if a player wants to contend for a postseason title, that's not really intriguing. No. At least not for me if I want to win a title. No, Magic's got to slow his roll because, you know, I, I like that he says he's going to be a mentor to D'Angelo Russell. Russell needs to be mentored, you know, six days out of the week uh, for being such a knucklehead this year. And, I look, I get it. You know, I spoke earlier. I said I think I misspoke, and I said they had 21 and 61. That was two years ago. This this year they were 17 and 65. Yeah. So horrendous. I mean, they are so, so bad. But Magic Johnson, he just got a little bit ahead of himself. He's got to watch what he's says because we know in the nfl if, if you tamper uh, 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 new england patriots you lose his draft pick so you need to be careful what you say because you would do not want to lose uh you know maybe a top three pick in the upcoming nba draft not that i think that's going to happen but you know be be careful and be careful what you wish for didn't the lakers do this a couple years ago with gary payton and carmelone and how did that work out 
not work out well. Not even a little. So you know, uh, they got they might be on the right track finally. Uh, I still think they have too many of the same players, same positions. Clarkson, Russell, how many point guards do you need? Randall's an undersized power. Doesn't shoot well enough to be a, to be a three. Got nobody to play the center position. So it's gonna take a while. They got to be patient. And I think I think that's the good thing about Luke Walton is because he coached because he's going to coach there and he played there more importantly uh they're going to give him uh, more leash to to go out and to be bad more than anything i mean if they if they're honest with themselves they're not going to land maybe really any of those guys that that magic spoke about maybe they'll get one or two guys you know maybe they'll pull somebody that we just don't realize especially if they're willing to trade that pick who you know could end up being ben simmons or my man ingram from duke uh you know there's a there's maybe there's a team out there New Orleans, maybe they give up Anthony Davis. I don't know. I'm not. I'm just saying. But something like that would jumpstart this team. But you got to look at least th- at least three seasons down the road that you're going to be bad. You got to stockpile these draft picks. No, you're not going to do a Philadelphia 76ers and, and purposely be bad because this is LA. This isn't Philly. People are not going to deal with you know losing for a cause. So you've got to be better, especially when the Clippers play in the same building. But uh, they just they have to be patient. Continue the correct moves, and and Luke Walton is is the first correct move that they could do but this again you make one bad move you sign a guy like demar rose and give him too much money and you realize oh that's right he can't play any defense this this could stay bad for a while as well yeah magic johnson just just put down the xbox controller (laughs) and this is not nba 2k you need to work on chemistry as you said russell and clarkson are pretty much the same player a lot of people don't see russell as a pure point or a veteran who can win now so Expect one of those guys to be off the roster next season, along with Nick Young. Um, but <laughs> Nick Lakers, Young. Lakers are—they're definitely on the right track. They're just a couple of moves away from—they're probably one or one move away from contending in for, for a postseason spot because the West isn't as strong as it used to be. But they're two players away from legitimately being a—you know—a a title contender right now. A title contender? How about an eight seed? Uh, no, I mean again, one star I think will get them will get them an eight seed in the West because I mean look who was the eight seed this year. I mean think about it, it was this it was the dysfunctional Houston Rockets. Yeah. So it, it's really not hard as it used to be in the West to get that AC. I believe the East is a lot more is is a lot more competitive top to bottom as far as one to eight. Whereas the West is top heavy. They have the top four teams and then the other four player teams are kinda meh. You know, like I said, the Portland well, Trailblazers, they, they beat the Clippers because the Clippers didn't have CP3 or Blake Griffin to end the series. Mm-hmm. But again, if the Lakers can land one guy, let's say let's say PG-13 does come to the Lakers, that I think that automatically pushes them to an AC contender. Yeah. If they get PG, if they get PG-13 and an Al Horford and another guy, then I believe they, they can contend a little bit. Because, I mean, Al, Al, Al Horford is not the greatest tool, but he, he's a good piece in a, in, a, in a bigger picture, I think. Hey, it's just, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go after DeRozan though. Leave DeRozan no. in Toronto with Kyle Lowry, who's struggling this postseason. But you, but, but if it's, if this is the Lakers of old, they signed Demar DeRozan to a max deal, and then it goes horribly wrong. So, but you know, time will tell. Time will tell. You know, I'm I'm hoping because I like Walton so much, and the fact that I lived in LA for a while, I do I do hope for the best. And you know, again, when the Lakers are good, it makes for a better NBA product. Just like if the Knicks were good, they would be back on you know Christmas Day games, and people in New York would actually care. But that. That's neither here nor there. That is it for Open Mic. We filled your ear hole with a ton of NBA information. We're going to be right back because we felt so bad we didn't do it last week. We're bringing back building momentum for my man, Mo Buckets. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. It's now time for building momentum. 
All right, Mike, I just need a quick drum roll, please. Got a, new, a new member of Mo Money Mo Buckets. That's Bryce Harper. He just yeah. signed a new deal, an extension with Under Armour. As you as you see on your TV, Bryce Harper was already with the company. He was already endorsing, but he signed an extension for 10 years, undisclosed amount, but we know it's got to be a lot of money because this guy is probably the most popular MLB player on the landscape right now. Yeah. He joined Steph Curry, joined Speed, Cam Newton, Tom Brady, Michael Phelps, Clayton Kershaw, and Buster Posey. Under the Under Armour umbrella. So, Hello. welcome to Mo Money, Mo Buckets, buddy. Yeah, that is quite the roster of, of talent. And the Under Armour has come a long way in a short time. I mean, I remember when they first came out, that kind of weird logo that I didn't know what exactly it was. And it was just like gym apparel, stuff you wear, you work out. You know, especially like the compression stuff was was really what they were good at. And then all of a sudden, they started getting into sneakers. And, and I still don't feel like their their shoes are, uh, you know, great looking. But, you know, they're... they're they're making a ton of money. They made what was expected this year in 2016 to be five billion dollars in sales. I mean, so they're obviously doing the right thing. They're doing something right. Look, Nike is always going to be Nike. It's always going to have the Jordan brand. I, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for Under Armour, they're never going to be Nike because they've been in you know our they've been in our our lives for so long, and they're just they're not going to go anywhere. But this is a this is basically a company that has shooed away the likes of Reebok and Adidas. This is a company that's got the MVPs in multiple sports. It's got the best golfer on the planet. It's got Tom Brady, everybody's, you know, lovable, hateable favorite player in the NFL. I mean, they just, they know, they know how to make money. They've done a fantastic job and it's not going to go away anytime soon. And the thing is, it's like you and I are, you know, in our thirties and that's why we're such Nike driven because we grew up with the guys that wore Nike, the pennies, the, you know, the, even the the Gary Paytons of the world, the Jason kids, you know, don't forget about Michael Jordan. That's on another plane, but the kids growing up today that are 10 11 12 years old they love bryce harper if they play baseball they love stephen curry if they play basketball and yeah even the likes of buster posey clayton kershaw these are all guys that wear this this under armor so these are kids that when they get to our age may not even care about nike they may be all about under armor and what in turn happens is their kids will wear Under Armour. So, you know, it, it's definitely, there's definitely a change in this, this the brand wars, as we call it. And it's it's fun to see because it's just going to make Nike that much, have to make them that, that much better and continue to come out with new and exciting products and, and re-releases of shoes and, you know, apparel that, you know, was, was popular when we were kids. So it's not a bad thing for the industry. It's a good thing, unless, of course, you're an Adidas or, or a Reebok sponsor or, or an athlete that wears that stuff. It might be time to jump ship. Think, think about this, Mike. If Nike keeps mispronouncing the names of their stars, oh man, go over to Under Armour. I mean, come on, Stephon Curry, so Stephen Curry. <laughs> I mean, think about yeah. this. I mean, Nike is missing out on this. Under Armour is really building their name, as you mentioned, all the stars that are under their umbrella. But what I really want to point to is that MLB players can be stars too. Yeah. Okay, so we can break out of this culture that everything has to be prim and proper. You know. Bryce Harper's out there doing his thing. You know, he's flinging his hair all over the place, and he's having fun with it, and he gets rewarded for that. So it's okay to be interesting, especially if you're winning, because, again, the Nationals lead their division right now. But 
if you're interesting and you're winning, you're going to get a good deal, and Bryce Harper just showed that. Well, that's the thing. is a company like Under Armour, they're, they're looking at it from a young person's perspective. It's call it the millennials. Call it whatever you want. You know, there's such a negative connotation behind that uh, that word, and I don't really feel there should be, but, you know, the older generations have labeled it as so. But my point is that the fact that, like, Bryce Harper, when he turned 21 years of age, and that was, you know, almost two years ago, he uh, he had an incredible day uh, game on his day. Turned 21, and he got to the, uh, the the dugout and the presser after the after the game and and uh, stupid reporter says something to him like hey now that you're 21 had a big game you're gonna go out and have a drink and you know it seems like a harmless enough question when, before though you have to do your research and realize that Bryce Harper is Mormon and they're not allowed to drink under their you know their religion so Bryce Harper's response to the guys was that's a clown question bro and and what did Under Armour do they went and put that on t-shirts and those t-shirts <laughs> sold out all across the country so these are the forward-thinking ideas that you know with people that are you know with social media and all this these new type of marketing ideas it just takes up and it sprawls out like wildfire and that's maybe what Nike needs to get back to these these grassroots efforts instead of just re-releasing shoes year after year and of course they're going to make money but they need to do something different something to grab a younger generation's you know ideas instead of just saying well Chris Paul wears our shoe you know Carmelo wears a shoe yeah well these aren't these aren't guys that are kind of in the uh the minds of of kids that are under the age of 20 much anymore you know it's it's the Stephen Curry's it's the Clay Thompson's it's you know it's Mike Trout's it's if you're talking baseball you know it's Cam Newton for football and you know there was always this thing with football players well you know football players aren't very marketable because they wear a, a face mask and people don't see them on the field well those days have changed as well you know and you can thank that a little bit to you know Cam Newton and his celebrations, his dances, you know, again, if these players are allowed to be themselves to a certain extent, and that's what I feel Bryce Harper is trying to bring back to baseball, not to be arrogant and to be an a-hole, but to at least be yourself and have some fun and be celebrated on the field. I mean, what, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, for these companies that have invested millions and millions and millions of dollars like Bryce Harper, it's going to pay off in the long run. Mike, you didn't see it, but I just did the dab of Cam Newton. Just, just, just so you know. Just uh, I have a, I have a theory on the dab that anyone that does it is failed, is is set to fail in their, uh, in their, their, their strive for greatness. So stop, don't do that because <laughs> if you look back. <laughs> well, think about this. If I mean, I know Josh Norman left the Carolina Panthers for the Washington R's, but um. I think Carolina's gonna be okay. Just just to go off on a tangent. Yeah, yeah. Group. This Carolina's year, gonna be okay. this Camp year, gonna be okay. He can dab it up all he wants. But last year he did it. He he failed. The North Carolina basketball team did it before the game and they failed. Um, the Roger Goodell <laughs> did it at the at the draft and I, this could be a bad year for Roger Goodell. So be careful with where you dab, who you dab, and Mo. Since you, we're on this show together, no dabbing for you, sir. All right. So there's a no dabbing restriction yep. on my contract. Hashtag okay. no dab. Uh, Speaking of failures, uh, uh, Mike wants to talk about the Philadelphia Phillies, so Ooh. I'll let him take it away, and then I'll chide in with my comments about the team we should be talking about. But go ahead, Mike. Have the floor. Hey, these Phillies are unbelievable, and I know it's early. Look, we're not even 30 games into the season so far, but this team's 16-11, and 11, and if anybody saw this coming, then you're a clairvoyant, and you should, you know, be with uh, be on Miss Cleo answering phone calls on late-night TV, because this, this team went 63-99, and 99 last year 27 games out of first they were horrendous okay but this year they got a minus 22 run differential which means that you know they're really playing well offense defense look the strength of this team is their pitching staff why because they're all young 
The, they have the current rotation has four guys that are between ages of 22 and 26, led by Aaron Nola, who is a, a stud, Vincent Velasquez, who they got in a trade with the Houston Astros. They plundered him. They got him and another young stud pitcher who's in the minors, former number one overall draft pick Mark Appel. They got for Ken Giles. And uh, by the way, Ken Giles is miserable. He was the closer of the Phillies last year. Showed a lot of possi- possibi- possibilities for being a ace closer. Well, he's now the the seventh inning guy because he's been so bad this year. So uh, what a trade. What a trade by the Phillies front office. You got Jared Eckhoff, who's been okay. Adam Morgan as well. And then you got veteran righty uh, Jeremy Hellickson, who last year was with Arizona. And he's been fantastic. I mean, this is a guy now, no, he should not be a number one of a staff. But for a team like the Phillies who are coming together, I mean, he's doing the job. He's doing the job. He's got three wins already. And you look at their offense. Offense is, is a lot further along than I thought it, I thought it would be because I wasn't overly impressed. And I'm still not, you know, I'm not ready to claim the Phillies are going to be in the playoffs this year or next year. But when you got a third baseman like Michael Franco, a center fielder like Obdell Herrera, and you got keepers long-term like shortstop J.P. Crawford, catcher, uh, catcher Andrew Knapp, and outfielders Nick Williams and Roman Quinn, all in the minors, all ready to make their debut at some point this year. This is a team on the come-up. I mean, they could be they could be this year's Houston Astros, even though if you look at their, uh, you look at the standings, the Houston Astros are in dead last in that AL West. But, you know, let's not get too excited just yet, but I wanted to point out the fact that these Phillies who were left for dead before the season started, and especially at the end of last year, are given uh, the the really run-down Philadelphia fan base a run for its money. And you know what? And uh, this time next year, we could be talking Phillies uh, given the Washington Nationals or the New York Mets a run for that New, uh, National League East. Are you done, Mike? Yeah, I'm winded. I'm good. Are you done? Okay. Mm-hmm. We give the Phillies a lot of airtime on this show, but we barely <laughs> scraped the surface on the New York. Oh, Rangers. I knew I this was why. coming. I knew this was coming. 17 and 8, few games behind the Washington Nationals. They won eight straight games at the end of April. No mention of them on this show. You, this it, is a team that has three hit three hitters. Three hitters. Oh, Paul no. Walker, Joanna Cespedes, Lucas Duda. They all combined for 24 home runs. We're not talking about them. What, what is what's the deal? They're they're on a Cali road trip that starts tonight. They'll play they'll play the Padres and the Dodgers back to back on the road, and I feel like they're gonna go six and two in that stretch. But again, Mike won't even give them credit because of course he's a Yankees fan, so he doesn't want to give the Mets any credit because they're the other quote unquote baseball team. Pork. But Queens is running it right now. Give yes. the Mets some credit. We didn't give them a shout out last week like we should have for that eight for that eight win week for that eight game win streak. But I'm giving them a shout-out right now. They just shut out the Braves yesterday after oh, they lost the Braves 3-0. Big deal, the Braves. Shut them out yesterday. We didn't talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to cape for the Mets. If anybody's going to stick up for the Mets, it's me. All right. Are you get, Can you get off your soapbox now? Are you, are you happy that you got that out? Yeah, I had to get All right, look, we don't. It was, ta- it was just burning me. I had to talk. That's fine. We don't talk about the Mets because they should be in the first place. They have the best pitching staff, arguably, in the National League. They went to the World Series last year. Why would we talk about the, a team that is doing exactly what they should be doing? We could talk about the Kansas City Royals that are currently 13-12 and 12 and who won the World Series are in, like, in third place. There, there's more to talk about when a team is underachieving. Like We could necessarily talk about how bad the Yankees are, but do you want to hear me cry over the air? 
there. I know. That'd be, that'd be fine. Oh, that's way to go. Thank you so much. But <laughs> it's more fun to talk about the negatives because we can point out and we can, I mean, we want to spend an hour on the air saying, well, yeah, Cespedes is really good. Oh, Neil Walker is having a career year. Oh, like this. No, like, yeah, it's cool. It's great. But I'll get excited when and if the Mets make a trade to solidify that offense or Talk to me in September. Talk to me when the Mets are playing in the first round of the playoffs and, and they're the team to beat in the National League. Look, it's a long season. It's 162 games. That's why I preface the fact that will the Phillies be here in August? Probably not. But you know what? At this point in the season on Cinco de Mayo, it's kind of fun to talk about. It. The same reason I haven't ripped my Yankees a new one because they're only six and a half games out of first. Our oldest Chapman is coming back. There's a lot of time left. Look, I don't feel great about it being a Yankee fan right now, but I'm not ready to wave the white flag. So I give the Mets hands down a lot of credit. I didn't think they'd be this good uh, again this year. I had some doubts, especially with that offense. And you said it yourself. There's like three consistent hitters. But again, David Wright, David Wright is doing his thing. He's playing a lot better than expected. He hasn't necessarily, he hasn't hurt his back uh, which is great because the, the Mets are going to need him. Uh, Struble Cabrera is playing a fantastic shirt. He's hitting a little bit. I did say Travis Darno would get hurt, and lo and behold, he's on the 15-day DL with a no timetable yet to come back. So, again, there are certain certain spots in that lineup that they need to, to solidify. Uh, Jerus Familia, the closer who's been great, is being taxed because I also said that the the bullpen is is kind of weak. So again, if you're a Mets fan, you got to be happy about their start, but you also have to be a little fearful and say there's some moves that uh, Sandy Alderson, the GM, needs to make if this team wants to not only get to the postseason, but finally, for the first time in 30 years, win a World Series. Mets fans out there, just know on this Yankees bias show, oh, I got your back. All right, anytime the Mets do something great, goodness. I'm here to report it. I'm here to talk about it. Well, just, just putting that out there. And by the way, guys, if you didn't know, Moe's actually Mr. Met. He wears that that baseball head at uh, at the New City Field every Thursday and Sunday night. So when you get to the uh, you get to the stadium, just slap him right upside the noggin and say, "Hey, Mo, I listen to the show." Or you just give me a five and say, "I'm glad you represent." No, no, no. Slap well. him upside the head. But uh, on to more serious uh, issues with MLB. Uh, if you listened to the show last week, Mike had a complete rant about PED use mm-hmm. and how to how to fix it in baseball. Did they do it yet? The player, they another did. player has been busted. Uh. And we're gonna talk about that. And I, I'll actually defend this guy, but Mike, I'll, I'll give you the floor again to uh, rant off on PED use. Go All ahead. right. Well, we're back where where I didn't want to be, but I did. We did allude to the fact that there is uh, there's a list coming out from the DEA and MLB that there was a couple more names that are going to come under uh, PED suspension. We are waiting for uh, looks like one or two more names. Uh, we were hoping today or tomorrow it would come out so that we could shed some light upon it. But uh, it's, it looks like it's going to be delayed a couple days, and it's supposed to be a name player, somebody we've actually heard about. But the the young man who recently was uh, named was uh, Dodgers right-handed pitcher Josh Raven, and um, not a guy many people have heard of because he's mostly been a, a career minor leaguer. He's 28 years old. He's actually on the 60-day DL after he broke his non-pitching arm in a car accident in the offseason, so he's not expected back for some time. But now it doesn't matter because he's unavailable until late July at the earliest. Look, last year, Raven's first career uh, major league level season wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. He gave up seven earned runs, 13 hits, and nine and a third innings of relief. He did impress. Well, he struck out 12 and only walked four. And he gets, look, his ball's in the upper 90s. Um, again, not a guy that's going to, you know, make or break your fantasy team or make or break the Dodgers' chances of, you know, going to the playoffs this year. But it's another dude who is trying to beat the system. And, again, another guy that says he didn't know what he was taking 
was illegal. And from everything that I understand and all the information that's coming out, it's Clusterball, or I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, but it's basically clenbuterol. It's basically a drug that was created in the 1960s in East Germany, and it was given to their athletes of the time, especially during the Olympic Games, to have a performance-enhancing drug. I mean, this is what it was created for. And according to scientists and people who know about this drug, because I obviously don't, it, it it's so easy to mask that they don't understand how these players are not doing it. So you're actually cheating, and you're too lazy or incompetent to cover the fact that you're cheating. That's... That's pretty poor. Uh, Something like that is just it just blows my mind that you're willing to you're willing to risk your career and and your finances, but you're not even smart enough to go ahead and and cover your tracks. So um, pretty disappointed. Uh, I'm curious to see who this other name is that's going to be coming out. I really hope for in Major League Baseball that it's it's not somebody that we've watched for many years and somebody that is a super, super player. And again, we're going to just have another guy that we're going to talk about a negative light, another guy that's never going to have a chance of making the the Hall of Fame, because it just does so much damage to Major League Baseball, and uh, I just hope that they listened to the show last week and take one of our ideas, and you know we can get the ball rolling because this is insane. It's it's not. I, I just I thought we were past this, and and it's right back, and uh, it's 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 worse than ever. And and anybody that knows anything about this drug, the more we learn about it, it's horrible for you. It's really really bad. I mean, think about it. something that was created in the 1960s in East Germany. Well, do you have any idea what you're putting in your body? Do you have any idea the long term consequences? that putting this drug into your system can do like it is not worth it i mean maybe it is to them financially but think about it think about a couple of years from now what this could potentially do it could be hazardous it could be it could be life-altering that's just that's, it's crazy to me mike let, let me uh I, I hate giving excuses to people i really i really do okay but uh, I hate to play the world's saddest story on the smallest violin here, but the guy had intestinal flu and strep throat and lost 20 pounds, okay? okay. Mm-hmm. And he, he wanted he wanted to speed up the process, and he probably just took a supplement to, again, this growth hormone releasing peptide 2, it stimulates the appetite. So he wanted to eat more, gain his weight back so he can get back into shape. Now, I want, I want to hear the whole story as far as what did he think, what does he think triggered this? Did he go into the GNC or did he just eat something? Because sure. I'm going to tangent this over to the NFL. The NFL, last couple of days, warned players about eating meat imported from China and Mexico. Why? Because the meat there contains a banned substance that we just spoke about, clenbuterol. So, Dwayne, I believe it was Dwayne Brown, Houston, Texas, right tackle, he tested positive for clenbuterol after a trip to Mexico. So this is a guy who didn't intentionally consumed a banned substance, but he was just eating meat. He just wanted food. He, maybe he wanted a taco, a burrito. <laughs> and he decided, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat you know, a burrito, a, a ground beef burrito. And he tested positive for this banned substance. And he didn't know why. The NFL cleared him in April and said, okay, players, you need to be careful if you're going to go to Mexico, if you're going to go to China, be careful about the meat there. We're warning you, it's under your own risk. Now, the Raiders and the Houston Texans play in Mexico City November 20, 21st on, on Monday Night Football. So a player made a joke saying, okay, so we have to be vegetarians for a few days? Mm. And, and it's a serious, I mean, it's a serious It's a serious question, but it's lighthearted too. But it just goes to show that I'm, I'm willing to hear the whole story about how a player tested positive and what does he think happened. Because we all know that our foods are tampered with sure. in certain cases. You read about Monsanto and what happens. I don't want to get the government on us, but yeah, let's please. just leave it at that. But we all know that 
meat from certain areas, certain countries can contain certain bad substances. If you if you if you play athletics, if you're into sports, so you have to be careful. I want to know the story. Did he walk into a GNC? Was it a supplement he knowingly took and just didn't read the label? Did he have a meal? Did he go outside of the country and have something? Because these substances can come from a lot of different things. And again, people are going to rail on this guy and say, how could you knowingly take drugs knowing what you're doing? You know, you know what's in your contract. But again, I just want to hear the whole story before I go out and condemn anyone because you never know where the substance came from and how he consumed it. Sure, and that makes sense to the whole point that people were railing on him saying, you know, why did he not cover his tracks? Hey, if you don't know you're taking something, you don't know you're taking something. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. The only thing I worry about is now that We've, the NFL's come out and said, you know, do, don't eat this meat, blah, blah, blah. You know, how many players now from any sport could say, oh, I ate some meat. So where does it stop? It, it just This could be this could be a huge, you know, it could be a pandemic where everybody's saying, oh, I had some meat, I had some meat. And what are you going to do? You're going to suspend everybody and anybody? And unfortunately, you can't trust. <laughs> you can't trust without knowing. And they'll they'll be quick to suspend if if you're found with that, with that, that whatever it's called in your system. And, and. It's just, it's a gray area. Where does it stop? Again, I, I'm still to the point where, hey, at least they came out and said you can't eat it. So if you're an athlete and you and you know, like, okay, if I, if I eat, the, even if I eat this and I did not take it intentionally, but if it's in my body, I could get suspended. Just don't eat it. Just don't do it. Okay? Like, it's, it's that simple. Just, just a quick disclaimer. People probably thinking, how does Maurice know about when we roll so quickly? Again, I'm an NFL guy, so I read this story before I got the show, so that's how I know about it. But again, just just watch your meat consumption. I mean, think about it, Mike. If you're at a job and they say you can't, you know, substances stay away from these substances, and you and you go home and you have a, a chicken salad, and then you test positive for some drug in your drug test when you go for your job interview, you know, it, it you feel for these players because if you if you put yourself in their shoes, you're like, wow, I have to be careful about normal things that I eat: a salad, a taco, a burrito. You know, a chalupa, anything nowadays. Yeah. You don't know what these foods have in it, and we are not going to sit there. You're not going to walk up at the Taco Bell and says, "Hold up, wait a minute." Before you pack those tacos, let me put it in the test tube and test it for substances that I maybe, you know, I can't take because I'm an athlete or something like that. You're just going to eat because you're hungry. Yeah. So with these foods, I think it's more than just a player problem. It's a food supply issue where we gotta we gotta be more careful about what we put in our foods and where we're congesting and where our foods come from. A lot of times we'll go to supermarkets and we'll just pick up the ground beef or we'll just pick up the chicken or the turkey. And we don't even care about where it comes from or what chemicals are in these foods. It's just it's just a bigger issue. And again, like you said, you just never know. Players could say, well, I could just take this substance and say it was just the meat. We have no way of really knowing. It's just a lot of gray area and you just don't know who intentionally takes things for an edge who accidentally ingested something that they probably ate or ingested accidentally through a supplement. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing that just, it's not going to easily resolve itself. I mean, we could say, Hey, the NFL makes enough money that they could open their own, you know, food supply company and supply (laughs) food to, you know, all 30 teams and so good (laughs) baseball and so good basketball. That would definitely go ahead. You know, that would be one way to resolve the situation. But, uh, there's another guy kind of in the news, not really, but, um, Sort of in trouble for his tweets with another baseball player. Didn't we Derek talk- Goff, as you know, is yep. the number one overall pick. Didn't we talk about that last week? Didn't we talk about that? Uh, yeah, 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 we did. Yeah. We kind of railed on that last week, too. But uh, Jared Goff was under, is in some hot water with Yasiel Puig, who plays for the Dodgers, about his tweets 
And I'll let Mike I'll let Mike delve into it and I'll also defend golf on this because I feel like he's a product of the system. But go ahead, Mike. And Yasiel Pui is a giant man, so I would not want to be on the <laughs> wrong side of uh, his arms. His arms look like legs, like he put his legs through his jersey. But basically, <laughs> you know, Jared Goff, he's from he went to Cal he went to Cal Berkeley. He's a huge Northern California sports fan, uh, especially the San Francisco Giants. So if you know anything about geography, it's up there in the northern part of Cali. Uh, he's got a lot of grief, huge grief from the L.A. Uh, faithful. And L.A. faithful, is, as far as fans are concerned, can be kind of miserable at times. If you ever go to a, a Dodger game, see for yourself. Uh, I, hopefully when uh, the Rams play at the Coliseum this year, things are peaceful because back when the Rams and the Chargers and the Raiders used to play in L.A., every game was kind of a war zone. And I've been told this from friends and family that were at those games in the 70s and 80s. So let's hope it's a lot better. But back to uh, back to the point at hand. Um Tweeting, you have to realize what you're going to tweet. And again, Goff didn't know what he was going to say in 2013. He didn't know he was going to be the first overall pick by the brand new Los Angeles Rams. Well, brand new, kind of brand new Los Angeles Rams organization. But the tweet, the tweet that had the world shaking, basically, basically, said that he hoped that Yasiel Puig would be inflicted by great pain because of his bat flips and the fact that he slid into home after hitting a walk-off home run. Now, Puig, being the bigger man, or maybe he just wants to kidnap Jared Goff, I don't know, came back and replied, Big hug. Welcome to L.A. I show you around. Be my guest to at Dodgers gain. Hashtag Puig your friend. Hashtag Puig not late. I don't really know what hashtag Puig not late means. Maybe you can uh, elaborate. Uh, so luckily, quickly, uh, he came back, J- uh, Jared Goff, and he says, um... When asked by ESPN, you know, how are you going to react to this? Are you going to be a Dodgers fan? He basically said, we'll see. Uh, that's what I told fans. I said, we'll see. Hopefully this comes, uh, this goes away real quick. It's going to be kind of a growing pos- process. We'll see what happens. So a lot of we'll see what happens. But he says, I'm open. I'm not going to shut it down. Okay, I get it. You're a huge Giants fan, San Francisco Giants fan. But you now play in L.A., so you have to distance yourself. Just like the fact that we all know I'm a huge Yankees fan, Moe's a huge Mets fan. When and if the day comes that the Mike and Moe show is now picked up nationwide by syndication, we can't pretty much be homers. We can't tell you how much we love the Yankees and the Mets. We will continue to, t- you know, give you information about those teams, but we can't go off on a tangent. So now that he is in L.A., and he has to sport the colors. You have to you have to be careful what you say. And you can't even say we'll see. That's just it's just putting you, like we said last week with, with uh, Carson Wentz with the Philadelphia fan. Hey Carson, you suck! <laughs> that it's just not a good look. It's not a good start, okay? You don't want to have people telling you you suck at the airport. And you don't want to have people coming up to you and saying, Hey man, are you still a fan? Are you still a fan of the Giants, homie? Because if he says that he is, L.A. could be a scary place. So from one man to another that has lived in L.A., you best wear the royal blue. Uh, well, let me rephrase that. You should wear the royal blue of the Dodgers, not the royal blue of another organization that's also in Los Angeles. Yeah, so I guess it's all about them colors, right? Yeah, it's, uh, L.A. could be a scary place at times. Yeah, I, I thought it was all Hollywood and bright lights, though. Uh, that's like that's like two blocks of uh of streets. Other, you know, LA is just like any other big city. There's good areas, there's bad areas, there's are areas you don't want to be in at night. There's areas that are safe. It's just like any big city. What you see on TV is not 
basically what Los Angeles is all about. And and I I, I I would love everyone to go to L.A. for like a weekend and, and understand that L.A. is not what you see on entertainment TV and anything produced by Ryan Seacrest. There you go. Mike has the battle wounds to tell you guys yeah. that L.A. is not all flashing lights and red carpets. Nope. There you go. It's a great place if you got the money and the fame. And if you're struggling and trying to make something of yourself, it's just like any other big city. It's uh, It can be quite difficult. But... Hopefully Jared Goff is a little bit better set up than some people I know, so good for him. He, he probably will be, but the thing is, I give Jared Goff zero grief in his tweets. I mean, think about it. He went to Cali. He's a Cali kid. So what? He's a Giants fan. He grew up a Giants fan. He didn't know he was going to be drafted by the Los Angeles Rams, who were the St. Louis Rams previously. Think yeah. about that. So I don't give him any grief for being a Giants fan. Maybe he could say, you know, okay, I have a fair heart for the Los Angeles Dodgers since I'm here now. Fine. Okay, but I mean, Stephen Curry... He outright cheers for the Carolina Panthers, and he plays for the Golden State Warriors. You don't see him out there cheering for any Cali teams. He's not a Raiders fan. All of a sudden, he he's a Carolina Panthers fan. So yeah, how do you how do your readers how do your readers feel about that, Mo? Uh, uh, they they don't care. Honestly, <laughs> really? They, they, you know what? The readers don't care as long as Golden State is winning. Golden State just won a title, so. If you're most most of my followers on Twitter are Raiders fans and Warriors fans, and they're okay with Curry going to count out the Panthers game because the Panthers are an NFC and the Raiders are an AFC, so they don't really cross paths anyway. The, the The funny thing is they will cross paths this year. They play the Raiders, so that's gonna be interesting if Curry's out there keeping for for his Panthers. But I don't know. But again, I just don't see the the grief for golf. The you grief, know, grief for golf. Curry does it. Grief for golf. Curry, Curry, I mean, Curry is, is established. Goff is just coming in as a rookie. Sure. Right? Yeah. Okay. The second thing is the guy is following the MLB culture. I mean, think about this. After a bat flip, what happens after you show up at the plate? You get plunked. Yeah. So why is Goff under fire for this, for his comment saying about, you know, he he wishes that he, this guy gets hit in the ribs? I mean, I wouldn't wish bodily harm on anyone via Twitter. But he's just following the MLB culture. This is what MLB created. If you sh- again, if you show off, you're, you're, there's going to be retaliation for it. So he's just following that. Okay, but I got I got something for I got something for you though because thinking back and it just sprung to me. What happened years ago when LeBron James wore a Yankee hat? Uh, to not only did he go to a Yankee game, but he went to a couple other basketball games and wore a Yankee hat. He went to a Cleveland Indians. Uh, Cleveland Indians game against the Yankees and wore a Yankee hat and the Cleveland fans were all over this guy they were they were livid with him and the, and even uh, a couple years ago Matt Harvey of your beloved New York Mets no he didn't wear a Yankee hat but he went and rooted for Derek Jeter on Derek at Derek Jeter's final game and the Mets fans were livid because how dare he go and watch watch a Yankee great retire so there's definitely there's a there's some kind of bipartisanship going on because then you even look at uh, the other end of the spectrum, you look at a guy like like who's been all over our show today was Bryce Harper and the guy grew up a Yankee fan. Obviously, he plays for the Washington Nationals. But when he's in Washington, he's all things Washington. He's a Capitals fan. He wears a jersey. He's a our skins fan. We'll call them. He's all about those teams. And even last night, uh, Garrett Cole, a fantastic pitcher with the Pittsburgh uh, Pirates, was at the Pittsburgh Penguins game against those Capitals and was actually kind of I think he was inebriated because not only was he wearing the colors and the jersey of the Penguins, he was drunk and had to be told by security to calm down or he would be escorted out. So it's just it. There's a, I think there's kind of a double standard or triple standard, whatever you want to call it, because it seems like some guys get away with it. 
Some guys don't. But if a guy like LeBron can get called out on it, and usually, again, grew up a Yankee fan, doesn't play Major League Baseball, but when he went to a game in the city where he plays, he was bashed. So it's a, it's a slippery slope because what happens when the Giants come and play the Dodgers at Dodger Stadium, they play each other 18 times a year, and he wears a, he wears a Giants hat? It's going to get ugly. I don't think it would get that ugly if he's winning football games. Because, again, most most fans, if you're a fan of one sports team in the town, you're a fan of another. So as long as you're doing well at what you're doing, you can do whatever you want. I'm sure Tom Brady could come out tomorrow with a Mets cap. And people will be like, why is he wearing uh, a Mets cap? I, they're not going to give him that much grief for it. I think they would. I think because he, all he's ever worn when he's worn a baseball hat, if it's not that terrible TB12 logo, he wears a Boston Red Sox hat. And, th- and that just seems to me like – good common sense like i if i'm if i'm a yankee fan or if i'm a giant fan, uh, if i'm playing for the giants or playing for the jets or the knicks i'm not rocking a i'm not rocking a boston red Sox hat like why would you want to i don't care if i've been a grew up a fan i don't i just why do you want that negative press why do you want more people hating on you like carson wentz why do you want that that's just again you got to have people around you to say hey kid i realize you're a fan but you're in the public spotlight you're now uh, you're now a celebrity to a certain extent you can't do these certain things just like if you're a major celebrity you can't go out and expect to have a you know a normal life a normal dinner this is just something that comes with being being in the mainstream media it's just part of it i guess and that's yeah, that's how i feel see i wouldn't recommend tom brady come out on the meds hat that would make me happy but you know i think if he did I think he would get go for. I mean, it would obviously circle throughout social media and people would make a big deal out of it but i don't think Patriots fans would say, okay, I'm taking Tom Brady's poster off my wall because he has a Mets hat on. I don't think that's going to happen because he's got so many rings, so many championships, four Super Bowl titles. They're not, once he throws the first touchdown pass in September, they'll forget all about it. Yeah, I mean, that's but, that's uh, Tom Brady, but yeah, he can, yeah. if he can wear Uggs, he can get away with anything, so. But as, as far as people, I need people to understand, make up your mind. What do you want? Do you want fake or do you want real? Sure. If a guy comes out and says, look, I'm a Giants fan. Can't you appreciate him being honest? Because I guarantee you, you know, if Hillary Clinton, I know this is a different realm, I'm going into politics in a tangent, but if Hillary Clinton comes out and says, you know, we're campaigning in, in Ohio, I'm a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, people are going to say, oh, you're so fake. But she's pandering to the people in Cleveland. She's trying to get their votes. So she's 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 like, okay, I'm a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. I'm here now. I'm supporting this team. And people will quickly call her out saying, Oh, she's fake for doing that. And let me get let me set the record straight. I'm not a huge Hillary Clinton supporter, but all I'm saying is at certain points people want you to be real and at certain points they want you to be fake. So my thing is, make up your mind. What do you want? Do you want a, a person who's a fair weather sports fan who, who who supports a team when it's convenient? Or do you want a guy that says, Yeah, I grew up a fan of this franchise and I'm gonna continue to rep it no matter what happens? Mo, the day that we make everybody happy is the day that there's a comet headed towards Earth, and that's the last day we all are existence. It just—it's sad but true. You can't make everyone happy, and, and you know what? You gotta let these guys be themselves and and be happy. Yeah. And even though you know, it sounds like I might be contradicting myself, tell telling you like, hey, no, you should do the, you should do something that's gonna you know keep you out of harm's way. At the end of the day, they gotta do what's gonna make them happy. They're all adults, and you know, I just wish everybody would act like an adult and just let people be. I mean, it's self-expression. I mean, it's a free country there's the declaration of independence for a reason and if you don't like it then you know too bad but people don't look at it that way not everybody is try- is as level-headed and you know some people take it to an extreme and, and that's the thing that i worry is at the end you know you got to look out for not only yourself but your loved ones people 
around you because there's some some people out there that are just uh, you know built a different way they're wired a little differently and some people just take things a little too seriously and we've always seen that in sports where people get way too out of control especially you know when you know, the stakes are so high i mean you look at uh, look at games like in europe soccer games I mean, people throw flares people have racist chants i mean those those people are are something else and i and hopefully god willing it never gets to that here in the states but hey the malice at the palace it's it's happened before this isn't this isn't something that's never touched our stands but we just hope you know we're a little bit more you know smarter than than other things that have had that have occurred around the world the quick thing though i would give god more grief if he was wearing the rival hat of another team within his sport. Like oh, well, if he's walking around with a Raiders or 49ers hat, then I'm like, whoa. Well, yeah, that'd be ridiculous. Whoa, whoa. Sure. Yeah, that'd be ridiculous. That'd be ridiculous. Like, as ridiculous as Colin Kaepernick, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember way back when Kaepernick wore Dolphins snapback. Yeah, I've seen those guys. Yeah, I've seen and that. Was, and that made me live it because it's like, okay, that's your competition. That is actually your competition. But if you're going. Outside of the sport, like golf, let's say he shows up with a with a Dodgers hat or a Giants hat, it's fine because he plays football. He doesn't play baseball. He, what does he care? But you know, again, as long as he's not wearing a Raiders snapback or a Forty Nine ers snapback, Rams fans need to just chill out. Puig needs to just chill out because I mean, obviously, <laughs> I mean, Puig may have a a viable beef because he wanted. He said, you know, he should get hit in the ribs. So I can see that part of it. But as far as him being a San Francisco Giants fan growing up in Cali, meh, I yeah. don't care. Yeah. No big deal. I think people just associate it with the city in which they play for. And, and you know, I mean, if you just – come on. We know people – they just wear uh, the hat because they like the color or they like the logo or it matches their shoes. Like it's not – It's half the time it's not even about, oh, I'm from L.A., I'm from San Francisco. No, it's – but, you know, again, it is it is what it is. It's it's crazy. It sh- we shouldn't even have to be talking about it. But it, it is – again, when you say something on social media, it's there forever. And you don't know where you're going to be from one day to the next, let alone three years. And if you're an athlete or a person that plans on being in the spotlight, and even if you're not, if you're just a regular person working a nine-to-five, you have to be careful what you put out there because once it's on the internet, it's there forever. And you can't take it back even though you hit the delete button. It's that simple. Speaking of internet and the delete button, we'll we'll wrap this up and we'll come back with the wrap-up and talk about a person we spoke about last episode that has some pretty funny and intriguing tweets, and that's up next. This is The Wrap-Up. Well, Sunday is Mother's Day, and we all love our mothers, or women that have helped us grow into the men and women we are today. But there's one particular mother who is new to the New York area, and her son, former cornerback Ohio State, the Ohio State University, Eli Apple, and this woman is making noise like Janet Jackson back in the day on that cover of that magazine with the man's hands around her boobies. She is all over the place, and to further elaborate on this point, momentum, momentum, tell us what this lady has to say via Twitter. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. I know last episode we, we, we talked about Annie Apple. Annie Apple is Eli Apple's mom. She said she compared her son to the black Eli Manning, and we gave her a guff for it. And mm-hmm. said she should have just said he works hard, and maybe she was just in a situation where she just didn't know what to say. Neither did I know that Annie Apple is a Twitter star. I mean, if you look back at her Twitter, she's got a lot of things to say. She's got a lot of thoughts from sports to the NCAA and how they treat you know athletes. 
It's very interesting, but I'm going to read you a series of tweets from from Annie Apple. And this is, I'm going to start before he was drafted. This is what she had to say. She said, by the way, Eli's dad is a retired five-star chef. We eat well, so stop playing with our name. Next time you say our name, put some respect on it. Wait, was that like, was that what, um, with the Birdman? Is that like the same thing he said? Okay. Was this before? Put some respect on my name. Put some respect on it. Was that before or after Birdman says it? Because if before, then that's insane. That was definitely after Birdman said it, but okay. you know what she was referring to when she yeah. tweeted that. But basically what she was also referencing was, I mentioned this before, NFL scouts said that Eli Apple couldn't cook, and that's why teams should look twice at him in the draft, which I thought was ridiculous. What does that mean? What's, I have no idea. What what is what does it matter if he can cook or not? I mean, yeah. now he's in New York, New Jersey area where there's a bunch of pizza shops. The greatest food in the world. And it, it, Again, it was just ridiculous. People were bored because they were waiting for the draft to come, so they just dig up miscellaneous things to, to basically disrespect, as Annie Apple would say, disrespect their name. Now, she also said, this is now this is before, also before the draft, she said that Eli was offered Rolex watches and diamonds to wear on draft day. And she turned to him and said, dude, you're an unemployed college dropout. You will not be on TV with a Rolex. So we decided if, we, if he needed to know what time it was, he could look at his phone. I bought him a portable charger. Now, to me, that is classic. That's mama looking out for her kids saying, look, you're not going to be out here looking at, looking like some rich rapper who, who deals drugs or, or did something illegal. You're going to look like a normal person on TV and just look presentable. Yeah. And if you get to know the time, you don't need a, a $5,000 Rolex. Just look at your phone. I'll get you a portable charger and we'll get it done that way. Yeah, I got love for her on that. That was uh, that's a classic mom thing. Very, uh, that's a very smart. Just yeah, again, you're just showing that uh, it's you it's a bigger bigger thing than it's all about the money. It's all about the bling. It's uh, it, that's that's one way to keep a kid humble and keep him hungry. I like that. Right, I I really like that from Annie Apple. One more tweet that made me chuckle a bit. She said, "This is after the draft. This is after Eli Apple was drafted." She goes. Praying for all the thirsty girls sliding in new NFL rookie DMs with heavy booty and cleavage action picks. <laughs> Only Jesus can quench your thirst. What? Now, yes. Now, that just made me <sighs> real. Because this woman, not only does she have Eli Apple's head on straight, but she's very self-aware. She knows what's going on in the world. She's not one of these old ladies who doesn't know what's going on. She obviously watches the TV. She knows what's going on with these millennials and these young kids and sliding in people's DMs. You know, she knows how it goes down. You know, she she's a hip mom, and I, I really like that about her. And like I said, I take back my opinion about her last show about her not knowing the spotlight not knowing what to say in the spotlight okay so then that's fine but then that was then if that's the case then she was just wrong last week for saying for phrasing that the way she did because yeah it, it still doesn't give her a pass on what she said last week even though because especially now that she seems to know what she's saying on twitter yeah, she, she knows what she's doing but again she probably just phrased that the wrong way it just came out the wrong way she again she didn't have to add race to it yeah but she more than made up for it with these tweets. Again, she knows what's going on in the world. She has her son's head on straight. She knows how to, you know, be humble. Even though you're drafted, you're the number one overall pick in the draft, you're in the NFL, you're an instant millionaire, but she still has that, you know, keep it humble. You don't need to flash the bling and everything. Just keep it humble and do your job and be a great football player, and that's it. So, Mike, I'm going to turn to you and say, number one, would you want your mom defending you on Twitter or social media? Why you do your job as as a radio host or, or a writer or whatever it is? Would you want your mother defending you in public? And two, 
do you see Eli Apple as a mama's boy, or do you think it's cool that his mom comes out to defend her son, basically? Um, one, uh, my mother is all over social media, and when she <laughs> comments on my photos or likes things, I get a bit embarrassed. So, no, I don't want my mother wrapped up in that. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of pundits and people saying negative things, because that's the world of social media. Uh, and again, you just, you can't, you gotta let that be. You can't, she can't be all over that. She, uh, she can, she can praise me, she can say how much she loves me but starting a fight or uh you know sticking up for for a baby boy is not needed um we're all we're all we're all big men we know we know what comes with uh comes with the, the property of being in the limelight so that's okay uh and um two yeah he's a bit of a mama's boy well i mean he's like what he's like probably like 21 years old so hey you know what mama's still protecting mama mama wants some of that money let's be real you know she wants she wants her baby boy to do well uh she should be more worried about her baby boy being a nickelback with uh with the giants and even they brought in leon hall formerly of the Bengals, this week so uh that would be bad for eli it would be what the fourth corner on uh, on the roster so that would be more of my um more of my emphasis would be put on that, but yeah, he again. This just goes back to look. She's she's great. She's funny. I still don't think she was right from last week, but we gotta keep we gotta keep people t- that aren't in the game uh, a little bit under you know a little bit quieter because again, this is just putting so much more undue notice and pressure on Eli because you know you know that somebody. From the Washington Redskins, somebody, any team, but especially the division rival, is going to say something about his mama on Sunday mm-hmm. afternoon. I mean, if they don't, then I don't know anything about the NFL. But from all the stories we've heard, players will talk about anything and everything to get under your skin. And the moment that he, someone says something about his mama and he loses his cool and he costs his team a 15-yard uh, penalty, then you know what? He's wrong. They're right. And and they're and it's it's a negative. And you know, the coach of the Giants, that luckily it's not Coughlin anymore, would pull him right out the game. So all it's doing, again, it's just putting undue, unnecessary pressure and it's putting him in a in a bad situation because it's just it's just again Look, he's a young man. Even if he is a mama's boy, that's fine. We don't have to let the world know it, okay? And look, if he's if he wants to, if girls are gonna slide DMs in, they're gonna slide DMs in. If they got heavy booty or heavy brains, it doesn't matter. They're gonna find a way to get to this guy. It's on him. And she can be the biggest coach and the biggest mentor in the world. But but do it to him. Don't do it to all of us. We all don't need to know. And maybe this is just because mama wants to get her 15 seconds of fame. Fine. But you know what? If I'm if I'm that athlete, mom, stop. Mom, I will cut you off when it comes to social media. I will I will not let people know that you are my mother on Facebook. I will delete you. Like that's the way it's got to be. We got to smarten up. We got to we just got to take back the power and say, Mm-mm, it's not gonna ha- it's not gonna be what it's gonna be. Like like no, I will not let anybody know that you are my mama on social media. Like because it's hurting me. And if he does that, maybe she's you know well off enough to say you know what you're right i'm doing more harm than good i'm 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 making it more difficult on my son who's going to be in new york new york the mecca of all things media there's going to be enough pressure on this poor kid at least let him get on the field before somebody's saying uh Hey, Eli, hey, I saw your mom last <laughs> night. She was really good on my DM, bro. Like do you want that? I don't want it's- that. I don't want that. That's true. I mean, for the record, my mom isn't on social media, and I don't think she cares to get on Facebook or Twitter. Lucky. But big shout-out to your mom, because she really promotes us on Facebook, all over the place. So big shout-out to her for being a part of that. Yes, thank you, Mom. But uh, 
<laughs> but uh no really no no absolutely yes yeah. absolutely but, yeah um, she's great she's great i just but, don't want her sticking up for me when somebody calls me you know a loud mouth italian i don't want that yeah because you know that's gonna happen absolutely in this, in this realm in this business i don't even tell my mom about the cruel things that people say about me on, on social media because she would probably be like let me get on twitter and talk to <laughs> we don't need that to happen but uh, no. anyway you made a great point about about eli being on the football field and players just getting at him through his mom is, you know, saying things about his mother. People, players would probably use that for leverage and as trash talk, which is which is a fine line because I remember a football player went ballistic. I forgot who it was, but basically he went ballistic because someone said something about his mother. And you know how guys are, especially if they're close to their moms, they go ballistic if you say something about their mother. So just don't even go there. But you know players are going to test Eli. They're going to they're gonna test his patience, and they're going to say things about his mom, being that she is on social media and she is active. To me, I think it's just harmless on her part, as long as she doesn't turn into a Miko Grimes when oh. she starts criticizing his teammates or other people. Yeah. If, she's just, if she keeps it confined to her son and her son only, I'm cool with it. But he, she also has to understand, with that comes other consequences. Sure. Players may use that as, as, you know, material for themselves on the field. So we don't know how that's going to turn out. We don't know how vocal she's going to be once the season kicks off. Maybe it's just in this period before actual games are played. But we'll see. But um, shout-outs to her for defending her son and, and, and basically being a mom. That's her inclination. That's her instinct. She's being a mother. She's defending her son and make sure she, he's presented in the right way. But I will caution her that once the season kicks off, once everything is done and we're on to the regular season and he's on the field, you got to tone it down a little bit. Just a little bit because you don't want you don't want headlines. You don't want to be become part of the headline. If the Giants have a bad game and he gets toasted by a wide receiver on the field, you don't want your comments in the presses because the media can be they can be a bunch of savages. Mm-hmm. You know, for a headline, they'll put you in it and they'll make you a story. You just don't want that. You don't want the outside distractions. Keep it on social media. Keep it to your son. Absolutely. It's a great, great advice. Uh, I Unfortunately, I'm sure we will talk about this lady, <laughs> Mrs. Apple, quite a bit more. Just like I know we have not heard the last of Miko, do not say her name, Voldemort Grimes. <laughs> so that that is a that, see, if, you know what, guys, like I'm not going to pat us on the back, but I'm going to do it for a minute. If you're listening to the show, if you're new to the show, you realize we're talking about sports, but we're trying to bring some 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 good knowledge, some ideas. So we're trying to start a conversation because these things are not only just for the rich and the famous or the athletes that we watch on TV. This is also something that you can put into your everyday lives. Uh, people looking for a job in college, just things of being a better, smarter citizen of the planet, because you know what? life is so precious and one day to the next things change you have just have to be prepared and you have to be you have to be smart and and ready for these changes and you can't do something like jared goff three years you have to be weary leery of things that you do even three years ago that are going to affect you because you never know where you're going to be one day to the next it's as simple as that and in breaking news uh the head coach of the university of michigan wolverines jim harbaugh just I saw it on Facebook. Just did the dab. So next year, Michigan, when you go three and ten, you can thank Jim Harbaugh for doing the dab. What a fool! Somebody stop the dab. I can't. I don't even understand the dab. Stupid. But regardless, let's let's. It's put, for people who can't dance, Mike. It's oh, people wow. without rhythm. Well, well, then I don't know why I can do it. Did it because he can clearly dance, and I don't know why everybody keeps doing it because somebody's got to take my advice. You do the dab. Your season's done. It's just as simple as that. Well, that hey, is oh, it. What? No, you got more? You got more? Go ahead. Yeah. One more, one more quick tidbit breaking news. Snoop Dogg agrees to rap 
collab with Le'Veon Bell, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Oh, my God. So he's like, going to be rapping before the season. Like, Le'Veon doesn't have enough problems staying on a field with his knees. Yeah, and, and he also, you know, he's been suspended a few times and he's hanging out oh, with Snoop. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a guy do, ready for a drug test, like, right outside the studio when they get done putting this uh, putting this song down. Like, what? Yeah. Dude, look, we just got done talking about this. Put yourself in the right situations. Like, what, what is wrong with him? Like, even if you're going to do that, I'm telling anybody till after the song's been released and the marijuana has left my system. Like, right. so stupid. So, And if I'm the Steelers, oh, you better believe I have somebody there watching him like a hawk. Because and, oh, yeah. and but I, and I, and we do and if you know anything about Snoop Dogg and pop culture, Snoop is a huge, huge Steelers fan. I'm not really sure why, especially since he's from LA. But I hope Snoop doesn't put himself and put Le'Veon in a situation where it's time to take a hit because you know what the season's rapidly approaching and uh, Le'Veon doesn't need to miss any more playtime. It definitely, definitely gotta have a guard out there after Le'Veon Bell lays down his track with Snoop for you know just to make sure there's no paraphernalia on him or anything, yeah. but. Uh, we always talk about making good choices, and Le'Veon Bell, that probably came out, I don't think that came out from Le'Veon Bell's camp, if anything, it probably came out from Snoop's camp, or somebody who's close to either individual put it out there, yeah. but yes, Le'Veon, just, if you're gonna work with Snoop, no extracurricular activity, just lay the track down and be out. Yeah, seriously, but uh, I'm sure we'll also hear from Le'Veon Bell sooner rather than later, Mo, because... People just seem to do dumb things when the opportunity presents itself, but let's hope for the best, shall we? Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, okay, we will. Well, that is it for episode 12 on Cinco de Mayo. It's been uh, it's been fun as always. By next week, we will be one step closer to finally figuring out where we're going to be in the NBA playoffs when it comes to the conference championship. It's heating up. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have some uh, – we'll I'm sure we'll have some more fantastic and heart-wrenching news in the world of baseball. Camps get a little bit closer in football. Mo will keep us abreast on everything that's going on in the NFL world because he's all over it, Raiders and all. And um, that's that's pretty much a wrap. So, Mo, anything to say before we go? Happy Mother's Day to my mom, Mike's mom, and everyone's mom out there in the world Sunday. Absolutely. I echo that sentiment and thank all the moms for helping us come into this world without them. Well, we wouldn't be here. So we love you, moms. Everybody, be good to your mom or you're the lady that helped raise you or a mentor or whoever's in your life that's a female on that day because if they're not moms, they may be one day or the other, especially if you got a lady in your life. So everybody be good. Enjoy your week. Enjoy Mother's Day. And we'll be back this time next week with episode 13. Until then, I'm Mike. He's Mo. We'll talk to you then. Peace.